the St. Albans Podcast Theatre Show with Ben and Susie. Welcome to another episode of the Theatre Show Podcast with Susie and Ben. See how I... I switched <laughs> you that switched there. it. I'm feeling. I'm feeling very unsettled. I've disoriented the whole thing. <laughs> Game over. Um, welcome back. Thank you for joining us for another episode. We've got a good one today. Yes, really good. We go right from the spectrum of um, some really crisp plot-driven stuff all the way through to what is essentially an art piece. It's not really a. Um, it's not really a. It's, it's different, isn't it's it? Different. It's different. So we've got three reviews for you. Um, two from the Mortings Art Theatre and OVO. Um, one from uh, Company of Ten down at the Abbey Theatre. Yep. Let's start down at the Abbey Theatre, shall we? Let's do it. You went to see Dealing with Claire. Yes. Um, and you did go with Danny, but he didn't grace us with his presence today to tell us his thoughts. Mm. But he has he has uh, dropped some here. We're talking about it a bit on the main podcast, I think. Um Tell me about, what was Dealing with Claire about? So Dealing with, with Claire is about an estate agent named Claire and the whole business, so it's set in the 1980s. Apparently there was a housing boom then. Mm-hmm. Something's going on. Uh, and so there's this whole se- series of like gazumping. And yeah. um, oh, we think that we can get 750, but we'd like to push for 800. And then in the end, they say, oh, we're not very happy with 800, you know. And there, there's this whole thing about being polite and... Um, not accepting people's offer and then immediately trashing them as soon as you get a higher offer. Right. In the middle of this, there is a very, very strange man who's coming in and he says, I'll buy cash, I'll pay cash and I just want to buy this house and I'll pay more than anyone else. But he has this sort of weird obsession with Claire as an estate agent. Mm -hmm. Um, And also in the middle of this, the people selling the house... Um, is a very sort of tetchy couple. They're, they're getting at each other. They're stressed about selling the house. I'm Something not... everyone can relate to if they've ever sold a house. Mm. It's, it's stressful. <laughs> and um, for comic relief, there is uh, a, a Italian au pair uh, who all of the male characters end up leering over a little <laughs> bit to a greater or lesser extent. And then a various a range of characters played by Zodiac uh, Zodiac Williams, I think. Willoughby O'Neill. Willoughby. Yeah. O'Neill. There yeah. we go. <laughs> um, sorry, Zodiac. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you, anyway. You've only acted in several plays with him, but yes. sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you've got a name like Zodiac, you don't need a last name, <laughs> do you? That's true. Um, and so he plays the Italian boyfriend. Right. Uh, who's very confused at why, like, there's a strange man in the house trying to buy it. Uh, <laughs> he plays the estate agent. Who's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I love the vine. (laughs) Uh, And then he also plays the the handyman who comes in and is like, oh, you want to get that damp look too? You want to get that damp look too? Each time he's just absolutely hilarious. Uh, Just wandering around entirely 100%, almost 200% an an Italian man, uh, you know, bricky type bloke and a smarmy estate agent that's great because it's quite hard to play you know multiple characters and mm. do it really convincingly but and so so all of these characters come together there's a lot of tension around se- the selling of the house and then the creepy weird bloke um ends up back at claire's apartment and claire disappears so and this is kind of it has that it also sort of pays homage to the missing susie lamplu mystery real yes. life um thing which is um you know what you won't remember because you were probably not 
anywhere near. I wasn't a twinkle in my no, not even a twinkle. Um, I barely remember it. Um, but yeah, so it's yeah, it's quite significant. And recently was back in the news. I think beginning of this year they started excavating gardens, um, looking for her again. So it's very timely to sort of have this mm. back on the radar. But was it a dark play or was it kind of funny? It was darkly comic, right? Um, and so it was a lot in many ways like office suites mm-hmm. uh from the previous episode so there was a lot of humor around the banality of life mm. uh and talking about oh you know um the vine isn't the vine lovely outside yeah. and then another character comes in and it's like oh you know this house is lovely isn't it have you seen the vine <laughs> and everyone's going on and on about, about this the vine. and and the sort of superficiality of all of these interactions of like mm. we all know that we're here to flog a house we want to get the best price for the house but we need to make it about like niceness and and being kind to each other when actually it's like that if we can be unkind and get more money we will do that 100 percent. i mean the one thing danny did say about it was that he's like my the audience that was in them they were laughing and he was quite surprised and Mm. he spoke to um you know one of the the guys who was i I think stage manager and said with the audience laughing tonight on a different night and he said, oh, well, not as much. But, you know, it's, it's kind of nice that they were laughing mm. and it, it put a different perspective on it. Who, um, you mentioned Zodiac. Any other standout performances? Uh, I really liked uh, uh, my friend Georgia. So I have to say my friend because <laughs> I, otherwise... Preface this the, uh, comment. Uh, so she was really, really good. So she is, I'm not sure she would like me to say her age, but she's younger than me. Uh, and she played probably around 30, 35. Okay. And she really did well just, like, aging herself. Yeah. Being that sort of, like, I've been with you for so long. <laughs> and you are still she getting nailed, on my nerves. nailed the weary wife. Mm. Great. Um, I really liked her. And uh, Lester, I can't remember his last name, but he's done lots of things with the Abbey mm-hmm. Theatre. Uh, playing the creepy, perhaps perhaps not murderer mm-hmm. uh he was really good because what a lot of the other characters there were doing is setting up social conventions you yeah. don't do x and you don't do y and then he comes in and he's like oh hi nice convention you've got there immediately breaks it right and then you have to see everyone sort of try and politely move around mm-hmm. and be like oh you know what do we do now the social convention's been broken yeah and so um it was a, it, you enjoyed it yeah it yeah. was a good play to go watch it was well well delivered it was in the studio at the abbey theatre mm. wasn't it and how do you think that impacted because for those who haven't been you you should go for, I should say first of all but you know the the main theatre at the abbey theatre is is a traditional theatre with a mm. stage and stadium seating proscenium arch in in the, so it's yeah. like a picture box it's like you're watching the telly that's it yeah so what you'd expect to walk in with the studio how was it set up for a start so it was set up, um, so if you imagine a box, mm-hmm. like three quarters of that box uh, from one corner is taken up by the stage. Okay. And so there is a very, very tiny, uh, air quote, bed. Yeah. Uh, but it really, you couldn't fit a person in there. Yeah. And so Claire's apartment was sort of set up away from the action. Right. Uh, but on a really, really small scale. Yeah. And so then there's a lot of talk about like, oh, no one wants to buy an apartment on a railway because then yeah. you get people looking down at you. And so she, her opening monologue, Lily Prowse's opening monologue, um, is her delivering it with the light sort of flashing on her. As if a train, train is going past. Gotcha. Um, and actually, for her setting up the scene and opening the show to be like, you know, this these are the 
conventions that we're going with mm. and these sort of quite strict social conventions um i thought that that really gave a thread to the rest of the show yeah um and then in the rest of it it's all set in the living room um apart from the very last scene which is in the garden mm. who's under the slabs in the garden perhaps claire um but uh yeah then uh there's a lot of business to do with like Oh, isn't the upstairs nice? Isn't the garden nice? Mm-hmm. And, but it's all very claustrophobically set in what the one room, which is quite effective as well. Okay. And were you, was the audience on two sides? Or Yeah, yeah, they were on two sides. So that's, I mean, that for an audience member, it gives you a sort of, you know, you walk in, you're like, oh, where's going to be the best place to sit? Mm. <laughs> you have to choose. That's a, that's a big decision. Um, but all in all, thumbs up. Thumbs up. Great stuff. It was a good time. Thank you to the Abbey Theatre for that one. Hi, I'm Front Page Frankie, intrepid reporter for the Hearts Advertiser. Join me and host Danny Smith for the St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as delving into the biggest local stories, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for The St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. So we are back together again. Uh, ben and Susie are at the Maltings Arts Theatre this time. Mm-hmm. We're about to watch Oboe's production of Fugue. Excited? Very excited. Why, why do I always ask if you're excited? Well, I, I, because I'm a very excitable <laughs> individual, I think. Uh, as I've said this before and I'll say it again. The thing that I'm excited about for this season is new writing. This is new writing. Let's, this is your thing. Let's, you were very, go. very pointy with I'm, that. I'm pointing. I love talking to Stephen on the show um, just a couple of weeks ago. A couple of episodes. Really interesting. You, if you haven't listened to that interview, go back and listen to that now. We're going to go and watch the show and we'll let you know what we thought. So that was us at Fugue last night as we're recording this that was last night how we, are you feeling about it like what what's what's going on in your brain in your heart in your soul I have been thinking about it a lot now it's a bit of a funny one because quite often and I if you listen to last week's podcast we did we talked to the audience and I think Ben and I were quite dazed afterwards I, I was it, I was tired yeah. my, my sort of emotions were tired Emotion, emotionally drained are the words that mm. I used to you afterwards so we we sort of we we walked off and we we sort of talked about it a little bit on the way to car and we said let's just mull it over overnight and mm. we were like let's not do the review now because yeah. we don't know what we think yeah so having had the night to kind of process it and think about it I mean if you listen to last week's interview and um, we, we interviewed Stephen who was the writer and director and he said first of all it's not a plot driven play probably the best summary I could give Mm. it was not a plot driven play and uh, I think it was I mean the writing was excellent I enjoyed the writing I thought the both the actors so Steph Jones played um, two characters in Mm. one a sort of sister figure in the other mother figure and he had Lucy Crick playing uh, Erin who was Mm. this sort of consistent character across the two and excellent in Mm. there in I mean gosh the work that they must have put into that. It yeah. was it was constant. You know, there, there were pauses in it, but mostly it was a very kind of constant back and forth because it was conversation. It was mm. believable. And it and not only was it constant, it was all extremely high stakes. Yes. Uh, it, the, the you could tell that um, the characters were so emotionally invested in mm-hmm. whatever was going on, while equally, um, 
not a lot of plot to hang your character on. Yeah. So there must have been a lot of work that they had to do beforehand to be like, why does my character care so much about X or yeah. Y? And particularly for... So in the first scene, you've got Erin um, and Leah who are sisters. You sort of you figure out they're kind of sisters. And there's this... Yeah, Erin is this sort of... She's dressed in this kind of, you know, sort of light-coloured, you know, very kind of light-coloured dress. Sort of like a nightgown. Like a nightgown. It's very... the And the staging is all black and white. Mm. Um, and she's peeling stones which is but actually so in the original thing she was supposed to be peeling potatoes or vegetables Mm. um and Stephen did say in the interview he kind of cut that because you couldn't really have potato peelings all over the floor for the (laughs) second scene and it runs straight through and that all makes sense and actually her peeling stones was you know it added to this like the 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 general confusion Mm. about what was going on and was she quite right in the head and and I think it's a little bit it it works as a bit of a metaphor as well Mm -hmm. like where she's trying to get to is she's trying to get to this point where she's got a happy family and they're all coming around for dinner and it's going to be great. But actually, she's never going to get there because mm. she's peeling a stone. Like, <laughs> how, no matter how much you try and peel the stone, it ain't going to be a potato. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think when... So when Lucy first came in, she was... Her character was very... Abrasive. Yeah, abrasive is really good. It, she was very much kind of like trying to prod and push and you know mm. really it felt like she was trying to get at mm. um at her sister and kind of she almost try and break her mm, or or unveil her as a fraud mm. it felt like yeah and then you know by the end it was very caring and she was kind of caring for this injury that she had in her hand mm. and, and and putting gloves on her and and that kind of thing i think you know for for the character of leah it was a very kind of i wouldn't say it's necessarily a clear breakdown of her character because she was obviously not quite right in the beginning you know Mm. she's walking around peeling stones and she was a bit nervy but she definitely crumbled as Mm. it went through yeah she was giving a sort of a a semi-workable facade of a person Mm. who was holding it together yeah and then that was ripped away yeah and by the end you just saw actually no she's entirely uh you know entirely on her knees and you've got a very clear i feel like i got a very clear sort of Ovo feel from the play. It was, it, it was kind of. There was a lot of movement in it. There was, um, there was a good, you know. It was there were in the beginning. I should say, you know, very very beginning scene. You had kind of um, Leah at the front, this white um, dress, this kind of you know, creeping along the front, and then you had Lucy in a very dark mm. um, outfit, creeping and mirroring each other. And there was a lot of that mirroring mm. across it, and there were a lot of sort of strange moves but there was one point where Leah asks Erin to pass her a glass of water and it's across a table a long table and she ends up leaning all the way across it mm. you know, laying on the table almost, along a table drinking this water and then popping it back and then saying thank you and obviously she hadn't done anything and mm. it was it was very it was so weird to watch but it perfectly to me it was like kind of oh that's so British you know <laughs> it was such a weird sort of, such an overdone thing but it was like oh yeah she hadn't actually helped her at all she's really had to do it herself so anyway it there was a transition it went straight through into act two mm. and Stephen mentioned he hadn't quite pinned down the transition i thought the transition was actually really interesting yeah the characters kind of lifted the top off the table pulled out the the costume for mm. um for steph's character and then dressed her but it was perfectly in keeping with what had happened at the end of the first scene she puts gloves on mm. and the first act she puts gloves on it and then she sort of puts these trousers on she puts boots on it it was um I thought it was really clever. Mm. I liked that. Um, yeah. I, and and also 
the the way that um, just moving the table, moving the chair, and then uh, throwing a bunch of uh, letters about that makes it feel like a different space. It it really felt mm. like entirely changed. You moved to Canada. Mm. Um, I mean, so just touching on and and so this is where. Yeah, we we talked in our, our first review tonight about Zodiac playing three different characters and dealing with Claire. And then in this one, a completely different play, mm. um, you've got um, Steph Jones who's playing these two different characters. I felt the difference between them. Um, mm. You know, she she moved from being this kind of nervy sistery figure to being a, a sort of a, a, a very strange feeling motherly figure. Mm. But I could I could kind of get that, you know, the way she was speaking to her, there were motherly tones to it. It was, mm. even though she repeated some of the same words, the delivery was so different. It was, it And worked. also Lucy's reaction to the mother as yes. well. So you could, in the first scene, she was always in control, mm. always pushing her around and manoeuvring mm. her into the position that she wanted. Whereas this time they were almost butting up against each other. Yeah. Um, which adds to the confusion because mm. you're you know where what is the relationship between yeah. uh these two women are are they actually mother and daughter or are they because one of them's not making that much sense and yeah it's, it's very confusing i thought one of the things they did really well was that you know it was this back and forth it was all it was all dialogue i mean there were the sort of monologues within it but it was this sort of back and forth and they spoke over each other at points, mm. like you would in a conversation. And they did it so well that I was, you know, in that. I could, you know, I felt mm. that conversation. Yeah, it layered over the top of each yes. other rather than drowning each other out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but then take a step back from, okay, here was the setting. Here was how it worked. I mean, there was no plot. There was no plot. Well, no. there was a plot, but it wasn't a very clear plot. I mean, we walked out. I'm still going, okay, what happened? I have a theory. So my theory is that, because it, it all happened on Erin's birthday. Both scenes were on her birthday. Um, for me, it was the ghost of Erin visiting her sister, visiting her mother, and that every year on her birthday, they have this more special connection to their their sort of dead sister, daughter sort of thing. Um, that's as far as I've got with it, though. So <laughs> I, I, I like that theory. And so one of the things that happens in the first scene is they're talking a lot about a mirror, mm. looking looking into a mirror, and you were looking straight through me. Yes. Um, and so then that's why I smashed your head into the mirror. Yeah. And so I was, my, my like, side theory is that, um, unfortunately, one of the sisters killed the other sister. Yeah. Because um, she has no memory of that moment either, does she? Yeah. So it's... It was, yeah, I mean, so, it was dark and twisty. Talking to Stephen last week, yes. um, he told you that it's more like a piece of music than it is a, um, yeah. you know, a, your traditional show. Yes. And I, I I would agree with that, but I, I was thinking about it a bit differently. It's almost like, um, a, like a montage of mm. different aspects of life. Um, but very fragmented. No, none of them... Like, if you took a picture of yourself uh, or what you could see uh, every single day for a year at random points, none of it would make sense. But it would all sort of be in keeping with a sort of theme of yeah. who you are and what you see. Yeah. Um, and it felt like, in a similar way, it was just sort of a collection uh, of different feelings and ideas yeah. and themes yeah. without actually having a like 
oh, I went to the shops and I bought a sandwich and then I went home. Like Yes, yeah. I mean, I wondered, I did say this to, to Ben just before we, we started recording, I said, I wonder what that play would look like if you played it very straight, because mm. it was played and it was obviously directed by the writer. Um, if you played it kind of dead straight in a kind of more traditional kind of, you know, acted setting mm. rather than this kind of very choreographed to music um stylized is the word i'm looking for kind of um delivery i mean i just wonder what that would look like because mm. i think the writing would lend itself to that but would it then have the same impact yeah um, it's a good question i mean i i can't say honestly whether or not i feel like i enjoyed it i mean i i didn't not enjoy it mm. but i think that's the thing you kind of go and some you go to in um we saw pathos persuasion as a kind of second stage view done at Abbey Theatre and oh that was so sweet and lovely and it was very clear and everyone was lovely and it had a nice outcome and, and it was tied in a bow yeah it ties in a bow that's exactly and what I was going to say and this one is kind of like huh what happened mm. and that's not a bad thing it's just a very different feeling to come out with afterwards and uh, yeah I feel like it's um it sort of fills your head up with all of this stuff and then you need to digest it yes it's um, a thinker it's a yeah, real thinker it's, it is a thinker um yeah, I didn't sleep very well last night because <laughs> I was just sort of so stressed about yeah. like my potatoes. And... <laughs> Your potatoes. But thank you to uh, to everyone at Avo for that one. It was, um, you know, it was uh, it was a good experience to go. It was great mm. to see it, and I it, think... it it asks a lot of questions yeah. and doesn't give you the answer. It's a de- definitely it's it's so great to have all these different kinds of theatre on our doorstep. Mm. So you've got the ones that are very straight, and then you've got the ones that are much more artistic and stylized mm. to to go and watch. So yeah, great one. Hi, I'm Jake, and I'm Dave. Join us on the Podful of Saints, a St Albans City Football Club fan podcast. Each week during this football season, we shall be taking a look at the Saints' recent games and our upcoming matches. We have guests all during the season, and we also take a look at what is going on elsewhere in National League South. We end each week with a bit of fun with a Jake Predictor machine. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalwartspodcast.com forward slash Saints Podcast to find out more. That's a pod full of Saints with Jake and Dave, part of a St Albans podcast. In association with the Hearts Advertiser. Hi, I'm Aziz from Harpenden. I thought um, all three plays were well acted and well written. For the two, first two had a bit of an agenda, but they were, you know, quite thought provoking. The third one was very good. Right, so Ben and I are actually on location down at the Abbey Theatre. Are you excited to be here, Ben? Oh, I'm buzzing. Buzzing, I'm as, always, buzzing. as always. So we're very lucky to be joined um, by Jenny Kilcast, who's directing The Pitman Painters, which is going to be on from the 8th to the... 16. Thank you. I should know that too. Of November. <laughs> and Cassie um, and I've. Cassandra Cartwright. Cassandra, Cassandra Cartwright is the posh version. <laughs> <laughs> can but again. can you do it in a Geordie accent? Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but that's the thing, because she doesn't have to do the Geordie accent. So let's hold on. Let's take this back a minute. Tell us about the play, Jenny. Okay. The Pitman Painters is based on the true story of a group of miners plus a dental mechanic in Ashington in Northumberland who in the 1930s as part of the Workers Educational Association decided that they would learn art appreciation. 
Okay. Except the professor they got in to teach them this decided the best way to teach them to appreciate art was to teach them to create art. And he taught them to paint. And this is a real story? Yeah, it's a real story. Uh, you, can, you can look up the men themselves. Oliver Kilburn um, was probably the best known of them. He beca- went on to become quite a well-known artist in his own right. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of them at, at one point or other caused a bit, of a bit of a stir in the art world in the 1930s and 40s. So this is, as you keep, you sort of described it a few times, as an ensemble piece, mm. um, um, and it's mainly men, except for your two wonderful females. Yeah, they're they're really. I mean, if you if you heard of them, they're I excellent, <laughs> stunning work. Um, so, Cassie, tell me a bit. So, I mean, it's all about the men, really, isn't it? It is. It is. But of course, I would say being the heiress to the P&O fortune, that of course they couldn't have got anywhere without my money. No, of um, course. Which actually isn't true at all. They were, they were already painting before I arrived. But you do fling your money around. I fling you? my money around. Um, I looked myself up, Helen Sutherland. Mm. I looked me up on Wikipedia. Oh, yeah. She does actually have a page and she inherited Daddy's money yeah. at the beginning of the 1930s when both of her parents died. And that's why in her 40s, but in the 1930s decade, she does actually start to really really pour money into what was then very contemporary art so yeah. Ben Nicholson people like that which the rest of the art world probably whether they'd heard of them or not and certainly they wouldn't have heard probably of the Ashington group mm-hmm. without Helen Sutherland because she managed to get articles in the listener about them and they ended up being interviewed on the BBC and things like that so I mean it's a it's a story about uh, a group of miners term painters mm-hmm. doesn't sound exciting why do people want to come and watch it well, I mean, the first thing I'd say is it's it's really funny, and it's funny in a way which is particularly Geordie. I grew up in the northeast myself, and the first thing I thought when I read the script was, I know these men. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up around these men. The sort of the the banter, the way they speak to each other, a very, it's a very sharp wit. Um, so it's it's very very funny, and I have to. Uh, say that the uh, the guys who are playing the roles are very very good at that about getting that quite sort of sharp quick humor across so it's very funny to start with um it's also going to be very moving Mm -hmm. um i think there will be moments in the play where there will barely be a dry eye in the house which is Mm -hmm. uh which is good that's what i like laughter through tears um (laughs) and um I think it's just going to be it's a fascinating story it's very well told mm-hmm. um and very well acted and i think it's also going to be beautifully presented we've been very lucky to have um a fantastic set design um created by alison pagan which is reflective of the um of the mines and of the uh, of the community that they came from um we've got some fantastic audiovisual stuff going on which i think would be very interesting for the audience and i think all in all it's just going to be a, a pretty stunning production now ben and i were talking on the podcast recently about preparing for shows and the challenges now one of the big challenges that we've got in this one is the geordie accent which you've mastered beautifully i have to say <laughs> different start bonnie last <laughs> um and i'm working on and so and i keep every time i try and do it on the podcast it comes off terribly <laughs> um, but what do you think do you think that's kind of provided a different kind of challenge for the team trying to get their accents together as well as learning the lines oh absolutely accents are always tricky um and I am told, it's obviously not for me, but I'm told by other people that Geordie is, is one of the hardest to, to get. And this mm-hmm. is also complicated in that it's technically not quite Geordie. Mm-hmm. It's actually what it should be 
is pitmatic, which was a particular kind of Geordie spoken in the mines. <laughs> um, but I think a line I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think the uh, I think everyone who's been required to have that accent has risen to the challenge and uh, has certainly given it a very good go. And we also have had some help from um, a voice coach who did the uh, voice coaching on the original production at the National. So, you know, we've we've done our very best to get the accents um, as accurate as we can. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd turn that back round onto you, Susie, and Cassie, I know you don't have a Geordie accent, uh, but does the accent almost help you find sort of some grounding in the character? Do you find comfort in the Geordie accent, or is it actually just quite a challenge? I mean, it is a challenge, I think... So my character is kind of a bit young and feisty at first and then maybe a little bit more settled the second time you see her. So I think the the accent does help to give it a bit of drama, I guess. <laughs> That's the right <laughs> thing. Um, and I, but I found that, you know, I sort of learned the lines, then I learned them in Geordie, and now I'm trying to learn the intonations that go with that as well. So mm. I was saying to Cassie as we were waiting in the wings before one of our scenes tonight, and I said, I'm just trying to get my sentences to go up, up at the end because I don't really do that. <laughs> but obviously in the Geordie gallery. So, yeah. and, and you're right, I, luckily I get away with, with quite a posh accent. Um, but I have tried to learn a, a Geordie piece before now for an audition I did a while back. And you have to actually use the Geordie language. I tried to see if I could maybe do it in, in sort of RP English rather than with Geordie. And it just didn't work because the way Geordie, if it's a Geordie person writing it, the rhythm and the music almost and the song in the words that get used and the, and the pattern of the sentences, you have to have the accent to sort of make that all flow. It is quite a, quite a musical accent. Mm-hmm. There is a slight sing-songy quality to a Geordie accent. Um, however, just to reassure anyone who is planning on coming and watching it, I haven't made anyone do it as quickly as they actually <laughs> would if they were genuinely Geordie because then no one would be able to I understand I mean, that might them. have been a benefit because then we wouldn't have had to learn the line. <laughs> <laughs> but that's fantastic. I mean, I have to say, you know, from, from watching what we've done, is like, it is a very, very funny play i think you know there's proper laugh out loud genuine Definitely. belly laughs um from just watching the rehearsals yeah. and i just think people are going to enjoy it so it is on at the abbey theater um from the 8th to the 16th of november tickets available follow the link on the um on our website which is st so that brings us to the end oh yeah, the end, isn't it? Yeah, the end of another successful it. podcast. <laughs> that was a that was a real packed one today. It was. Um, although things are going to quieten down over the next couple of weeks, uh, or the, certainly in the next week. Yes. So we will be bringing you the next episode of this podcast yes. in three weeks' time, rather than two weeks' time. So that will be the fourteenth of November. Uh, if that's how maths Roughly. works. <laughs> Is that how maths works? Somebody desperately looking it up. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so we are we're going to do that. It will be out on Thursday, the fourteenth of November, where we will have a review of the Pitman Painters. Dun, dun, dun. Dun. I obviously won't be reviewing that. I mean, uh, I can already tell you it's amazing. <laughs> uh, and also a review of As You Like It. Yes, down at the Maltings. Uh, and we will probably try and find you something else. Yeah. Just special to put in your ears. Some other things to think about. So, um, as always, if you have thoughts and feelings, do get in touch. It's um, Susie at com And Ben at com Or Theatre Show. <laughs>
at stalkmanspodcast.com. Brilliant. And for information on all of the shows that we've covered, including how to get tickets, uh, do look at the show notes or have a look on the website, which is stalkmanspodcast.com, surprisingly enough. Talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, if you're that way inclined, stalkmanspodcast.com. <laughs> um, and thank you, as always, to uh, the Hearts Advertiser for, yep, letting, for us, letting us hang out and and share our thoughts in their space Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah that's great thanks Ben thanks Susie we will see you guys next time bye